Welcome to this episode of By The Way. I'm Matt Rothy, pastor at The Way Church. This episode is part of a series that comes out every Wednesday in Advent. I'm joined by pastors Nate Larish and Josh Schultz, two incredible pastors who also happen to be two of my best friends. We recorded these episodes because Advent is a special time of year when Christians prepare for the coming of Christ, and there's no better way we can do that than by spending time in God's Word. So I hope you enjoy these episodes and they can be a time of spiritual reflection and devotional rejuvenation for you during your Christmas season. All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm Matt Rothy, pastor at The Way Church in Fredericksburg, Virginia. I am Josh Schultz, pastor at Mountain View Lutheran in Great Falls, Montana. And I'm Nathan Larish, pastor at Illumin in Rock Hill, South Carolina. And father of three. Hey, father a lot's three. changed. Since yeah, the last, last time you're on this podcast. Last week we we recorded early in the afternoon, but a week ago at this time, uh, I think just rolling into the hospital, and he was born six hours later. Wow. Well, congratulations. Thank you. It's been a wonderful week. Before we get into this text of Isaiah chapter 61, and we're also going to talk about Luke chapter 4, where Jesus preaches on this text, uh, thought it would be interesting to just take a second and talk about what the week of Christmas Eve, Christmas, preaching on the Sunday thereafter, what that experience is like for you men, um, because I had a very dear friend and member of mine uh, say to me that, you know, this is your season, Pastor. This is like Walmart season. And it's like pastor season. Both of you have to rise to your game. And I, th- I just thought that was great that they, uh, that they said that. Uh, well, yeah, what's this week been like for you guys? Yeah, uh, that is a good analogy. I like that. Um, I, I don't know what to say this year because also in the past week, we have a third child in the house for the first time. So that makes everything different as well. But um I don't really know what to say. It, it's a, it's a rush getting ready for Christmas Eve. A rush is in a good thing, like uh, gets you excited. Um, and kind of just think, well, whatever the next thing is, get ready for it. And you're always looking ahead obviously too, but um, just get set to go for whatever's coming next and enjoy it and take joy and getting to tell a lot of people about Jesus. Yeah. It's just like so awesome. Like with all these different services and, you know, sermon, not not just the sermons that you preach, but also like Bible studies and then, you know, all the different readings in, in church and then devotionally, it's, it's, there are so many amazing portions of God's word that all speak to the same truth, but they, you know, they're looking at it from a different angle and it's just, you know, sometimes overwhelming in a good way of the depth of God's word, the depth of the good news of Jesus that we get to uh, tell others about at Christmas. And I don't know, it's, it's busy, but at the same time, it's, you can't let it be stressful. It's gotta be exciting because there's so much joy in it and just have fun, you know, just have fun going hard as a pastor in uh, preaching and teaching. And yeah, just, it's a lot of fun. No, Josh, you said something that was really cool. I thought where you talked about the devotional aspect of it for you, just being in so many different sections of God's word. Um, 
during this time of year, we pause a lot of the other ministry activities, ministry programs for our congregation, just as this year is busy for everybody. And so we do that, but it's also nice because it gives me time to work on, uh, you know, the different sermons that I'll get to preach this week. And that was an especially uh, apparent blessing for me as well, just uh, the devotional time. Uh, that I got to spend in different aspects of God's word, making connections from Old Testament to New Testament. And I'll say this, all the people that were in our small group, our online Bible studies, it's just really impressive to hear them uh, making so many of the connections um, to God's word about who the Old Testament said the coming Christ would be and uh, who he, who Jesus, you know, was when he, when he came. So um, that was awesome. I think that, I think, as we go through Isaiah, not only for me, but yeah, I, I've seen that too with the people I've talked to about it, had in Bible class who have been in worship. It's you just see my, I see my perspective and there's just widening of God's plan of salvation. And, you know, seeing, seeing the big picture of God's plan of salvation, it's, it's really cool to, to dive into. And I'm really happy we're, we've been going through this together. This is a lot of fun. Awesome. Well, thanks, man. We're in Isaiah chapter 61, and Nate, you're going to read that for us. All right, here we go. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Then we're going to skip to verse 10. Isaiah says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. This is God's word. And Josh, I'm going to jump back to verse two. And maybe a question people have is, what is the year of the Lord's favor? What does that mean? Josh, you want to answer that for us? Yeah, that's um, goes back to, um, you know, looking at it from the perspective of the people who first heard this when Isaiah said it, and then Luke four when Jesus gets up in the synagogue and reads these verses. Yeah, that year of the Lord's favor is a big, uh, big idea, a big um, term in the Old Testament that was. Uh, given by God and commanded by God in Leviticus chapter 25. And your Lord's favor, it's also known as the year of Jubilee. It uh, God commanded that they'd celebrate it every 50 years. And so what happened was anybody uh, who was in a lot of financial debt, because God didn't want them to live with that debt or pass it on to their kids and grandkids, that um, every 50 years, those debts would be canceled. Uh, if you had to uh, sell off your land because of financial hardship, or like what farmers deal with, with droughts and so on and so forth, especially in an arid climate like they have, that they'd get that land back uh, from 
when God had initially divided it, when they settled into the promised land, also slaves um, who were kind of like, I don't want to say indentured servants, but it was like that to pay off, again, debt that people, all, all the slaves were set free. And so it was a way that God was uh, teaching them how much he cares for them, but how he deals with mankind and it's fully undeserved grace. And, and we see all the pictures of what our Savior would do of canceling our debt, uh, canceling our sin and freeing us from slave, from sl- spiritual slavery, um, giving us a place in heaven. So all that year of the Lord is in that. I got a question for you that I've always thought about every time we talk about the year of Jubilee, year of the Lord's favor. Um, we don't know if that ever happened, right? We don't see that in scripture. So it still doesn't take away from any of the like wonderful, beautiful points that you just made about that, Josh, that this is what God meant for his people. This is what it meant when uh, here the suffering servant in Isaiah 61 says, I'm here to proclaim that happening for God's people. Um, and yet every time that I hear about it, I'm always reminded, oh yeah, we never hear about that happening. What does that add? Does that take away anything? Um, I think it, we consider it here. Did it never happen or do we not know that it ever happened or do we not know? Or, I mean, was it never recorded that it was happened, but we don't think it did. I think it's the latter that it's not recorded and so then that leads you to, now I'm speculating, but it leads you to think, well, if it didn't happen, is it because Israel was so unfaithful that they were, you know, not observing this year that the Lord had dedicated? And I think that's, that's what adds to it of the fact that we don't see it happening much, if ever, after God commanded it. Yeah, it does show that unfaithfulness straying from God's word, the imperfection, the sin of God's people. And then that is exactly why Jesus came. He came to do what we, what they were supposed to do. Right. Mm. You see the, the vicarious substitute of Jesus living in our place. Like he made sure if he made sure to do everything that we didn't in our place. Well, and I think if that's, you know, anything to highlight right here, Josh, if less people think that, you know, here's a bunch of guys just rambling on about, you know, the year of Jubilee and speculating about, you know, if it happened or didn't, if it wasn't recorded or not. That's the point. This is the point is that, hey, whether or not it did or didn't happen, you needed it. You needed that grace from God. And guess what? That came in Jesus, whom this verse is talking about, which kind of leads us to the New Testament. Is Luke chapter four, um, Jesus preaches his very first sermon, returns to Nazareth. And uh, this, is, this is awesome, right? That he stands up and Josh, you pointed out when we were studying this last week uh, that he uh, took the scroll of Isaiah that was handed to him and he found this place. And so it kind of uh, makes you think that Jesus wasn't just shooting from the hip, right? He, he, uh, he knew what he wanted to say. And of course, we wouldn't expect anything less. And then Jesus reads these verses, um, specifically the first first couple of verses that the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what did all the people do? Jesus said today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Everyone said, amen, clap. They're super excited for this, um, but things turned. 
yeah and that really gets me about the story like what what happened you you get it in luke 4 22 it says all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips and then jesus goes and he talks about some old testament prophets and then verse 28 says all the people in the synagogue were furious and then they literally go outside of town and try to push him off a cliff and kill him so what in the world happened Mm, yeah who Jesus is speaking to. He's talking to the people that he grew up with, people that watched him grow up. And, you know, they hear him read Isaiah, which, you know, a bunch of good Jewish little boys and girls grew up hearing, knowing about. And so whether they're young or old, they love this section of God's word and what is spoken about here by the suffering servant. And it sounds good. People like hearing it. But then Jesus goes, no, this is about me. And I am coming to proclaim freedom for you because you're captive to sin. Uh, I'm coming to proclaim the good news to you, poor people, to you, blind people. And then he makes that point explicitly clear when he references both Elijah and Elisha healing people who were not Israelites and doing miracles for people who are not Israelites, thus highlighting the fact that you people have hard hearts, that you people, um, you know, have rejected me and I am the Messiah. And that was too much for them. Um, It's all good, you know, that they're referencing the prophet Isaiah or Jesus is, but then when he says, oh, I'm I'm referencing it to you, to you. I'm applying it to you and the work that I'm here to do. They're like, oh, no, he didn't. And then they pick him up, take him outside on the hill and toss him. They tried to toss him. Tried to, tried to. This is one since I was like a little boy in Sunday school that's always been like really like fascinating for me. Like, what does it look like to walk through the crowd and go on your way? I just love that. (laughs) I always pictured him like holographically moving through the crowd. Like, or did, did he, did he push him out of the way? Did he, did they try to grab him again? Uh, it would have been an amazing sight to see. I don't know. I, I always think of it like him just walking through the crowd, you know, it's like you've ever been to a, a concert or a big crowd uh, where, you know, there's this big dude that nobody wants to mess with and everybody just kind of gets out of the way. It's I, I always thought of think about it like that. It wasn't, there was, Maybe there's the miracle of when you talk about just walking through it, but it's just like when Jesus wants to get somewhere, nobody's going to stop him. You know, you talk about Jesus. Yeah. I always think that Jesus, you know, son of David, the our mighty warrior just coming and be like, Jesus wants to get somewhere. You're not going to stop him. Yeah. All right. Let me ask you guys this. Go ahead, Nate. I was just going to say, no matter how he did it, which you just said, it's got to be the point. He had power and authority over them. And, they clearly knew that as they watched him walk away. Let me ask you guys this. As you look at uh, this text, Isaiah 61 or Luke 4, Jesus preaching on it, um, what applications uh, do you make to yourself? I don't know. It's home for me when he talks about, you know, this is his purpose, proclaiming freedom for the prisoners and just to know, you know, like, at Ephesians 2, uh, what Paul talks about is like, this is what you once were. And 
you know, who was I? I was a prisoner. Who was I? I was blind. Who was I? I was oppressed. And all of these things, because of Jesus, he changed all that for me. And, you know, just to, you know, just marvel at the new realities and the new identity that Jesus has given me. And in my baptism, waking up every day, I can wake up knowing this is what God has made me. This is what Jesus has done for me. I have a reason and purpose to continue to serve him and others because of, of who he's made me. Love it, Josh. Um, as I was reading it earlier, the well, and you guys can tell me if this is wrong of me to do. I don't think it is, though. But verse one, where it says, the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And, you know, we had just talked about what Christmas means to us as pastors and what the week is like. And <laughs> it, it really comforts me and encourages me. And I think it can, not just for us as pastors, but for all Christians, this is it. This is what we get to do. Like I can make it. I, as a, I, as a pastor can get caught up in so many different things, whether it's Christmas time or whether it's any time of the year. And, but when it comes down to it, this is what we get to do as pastors and as Christians, because without Jesus, everyone is poor. And you could say that even in our faith, because our faith isn't perfect, we all have an aspect of being poor because our faith isn't what it could be. And so, you know, there's, we might put pressure on ourselves to, you know, preach the best sermon or have the best service or the best music or, or, you know, message things the best and invite the most people and have the best fill in the blank. Um, and of course we want to strive to do all that really well, but we just get to proclaim good news. Nate, one of the verses that you didn't read is verse six that says, and you will be called priests of the Lord and you will be named ministers of our God. This is talking not just to a group of like Levites, like the people who are designated specifically to priests. This is talking to all of God's people that all of you will be called priests of the Lord. All of you will be named ministers of our God. And so here, like all, what we see in Isaiah is ushering in this like massively groundbreaking idea that uh, hopefully isn't groundbreaking, but like is news to some that thankfully like Martin Luther and the Reformation changed for a lot of Christianity is this idea that only priests can preach God's word, that only priests can speak words of forgiveness, etc. Um, no, like it's the priesthood of all believers. What Peter talks about in First Peter two nine, like that we cherish so much that we, you, are a, pros, are a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a nation, holy nation, God's special possession. Why? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness. Well, Peter talks about that in the New Testament. Here Isaiah talks about it in the Old Testament, that this is who you are. You are called to do this. And, you know, you just stop and you think about the, like, you know, the specific Christmas applications that you were making, Nathan, that, um, you know, sometimes we feel like we, you know, really got to do it. Like, you know, this is, you know, this is like Christianity Super Bowl. It's Christmas here. Um, but the reality is that you have been called to do it. You have been equipped to do it. Um, God equips those he calls. All of you have been called to share good news. And what does it look like? 
just go back to those first verses where you started that, you know, people in your life who are brokenhearted. Well, God sent you to bind them up by pointing to Jesus. You know, people in your life who, man, I'm looking at verse two. Um, they're taking like bitterness and vengeance into their own hands. Say, hey, here's the grace that God offers you and you can offer to others. You know, you know, people who are held captive to their past or held captive to their sins or any number of things in their lives that are not God-pleasing, you say, hey, look, Christ gives you freedom for all that, but planting his identity in you through the waters of your baptism, uniting him with you through his death and resurrection. And that's a Christmas connection. That's what it's all about. Since you went off script to verse six, I'm going to go to verse seven because, well, here's what it says. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. And instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And uh, when, when we sin, when we mess up, it causes us to be shameful and feel disgrace. And that's part of the reason why, you know, we don't, I don't call you guys up and say, Hey, guess what I did wrong today? Like, I don't do that. Even, even when we, when we invite each other, it, we never go out of our way to confess our sins to each other. And yet, because, because we're shamed, we're ashamed of it. And uh, some people just try to hide it. And then you get deeper down into, we all try to hide it at one point or another and you get deeper down into it. And then you just can never admit it. And it just causes all sorts of problems. But God says, you know, God, God doesn't look at us as shameful or disgraced human beings. He, he has given us a double portion of forgiveness. Uh, we will rejoice in our inheritance, even, even though our sins, in a sense, should shame us before God, who's the one who matters most of all, right? What he thinks matters more than what you think and what your friend thinks and what anyone thinks and what God thinks is not that you're shamed or disgraced. It's the opposite. Ooh, and then oh, the that's end, a really great point. Everlasting joy will be yours. Sorry, I just saw it. I had to say it. Yeah, that's a really great point that you bring up about the idea of confession and shame and guilt. Uh, one of the questions that I really enjoy discussing with people who go through our foundations class, our membership class, is the question dealing with confession. Um, you and I both know that confessing your sins re regularly leads people to less guilt and more peace, more joy, as you just highlighted. Um, but our culture, our world thinks the opposite. So the question we discuss is, how would you explain to a friend that a Christian confessing their sins, whether that's publicly in worship, privately to your neighbor, privately to your pastor, and by neighbor, I mean somebody like you know your spouse or a friend, um, how would you explain to somebody that a Christian's confession actually does lead to more joy and happiness? Because with confession, you know, when we're talking about that, the Christian's life, which is a life of repentance, the, the end goal is not, you know, feeling that shame or guilt or simply admitting it. The, the end goal is to offer exactly what verse seven says, a double portion of God's grace and uh, to walk away knowing that you are forgiven because I mean, it goes both ways between two, two quick, two Christians of one confesses and it's the others 
not only responsibility, but privilege to tell them they are forgiven. And I don't know, as you talked about this, Nate, it's like, if there's one application I could make, it's to anybody who's married, that if you can learn to do one thing in a marriage together, um, it's to, yeah, admit your fault, especially your sins against each other, and to tell them the most important thing. Typically, we just focus on saying, I love you, but more importantly, you got to tell each other again and again and again, I, I forgive you. Jesus forgives you. I forgive you. And that's why I love you because of what Jesus has done for you. And it's, if you want to talk about growth in your marriage, um, that's, that's what it's going to do of being able to proclaim uh, forgiveness to each other. And what an awesome thing that we get to do as Christians. I love the, I love the application of marriage. I think it also goes like for anyone who has any sort of relationship at all, like in, if you're single, like with a friend or with people you work with or just, just anybody saying, I'm sorry. And recognizing that it, it never, here's what I did wrong. I can't think of an instance where that causes more trouble. It's always going to help the situation. Okay. I'm, I'm going to put a little footnote on there because it does always help the situation, but I think the problem, and again, to teach us and, and learn this as Christians to say, when somebody does confess your sin, that is not the opportunity to, to rehash. Yeah, this is, this is why everything that you did was wrong. And then it's just like, and then the person confessing is like, exactly. That is why I'm confessing it to you. So there's just a, a, a word of warning there to say, uh, yeah, that's the privilege. Speak, speak forgiveness and you don't have to rehash it. No, I'll just echo, echo what Nate said, Josh, your, your point about applying this to marriage, I thought was really good. I got engaged over my vicar years. So uh, we were only engaged for, you know, like less than a year before we got married. Um, but then um, I, you know, I served in three different like ministry contexts in that short period of time. And so there's a bunch of like older men at all of these different places, you know, that would give me their marriage advice. And I, I thought it was funny that, you know, you know, a lot of them would give kind of the classic advice. Well, oh, just, you know, learn these two words for when you're married, I'm sorry. And, you know, then like a group of like older men would like all laugh as, you know, they gave that advice and, you know, you would too, because you didn't know what else to do. Um, but like just how spiritually mature, and wise that advice really is as you're applying it to your point here it, it it really is really is cool i think the original what was the original question we asked here why is it so important to confess and what are the blessings here's yeah. maybe a story we tell ourselves or a lie we tell ourselves that if we don't put it out there if we don't say it like it's just going to disappear and the shame mm. or the disgrace or the guilt is going to be gone and with god God knows everything anyways, but we might fool ourselves into saying, well, if I, if I just try to hide this then it'll go away. Um, but you know, I, I heard a great illustration. I definitely did not hear it in any sermon ever. And none of us ever said anything like this in any sermon we ever preached, but guilt and sin is like, <laughs> I guilt and sin is like a, a wire. I'm laughing because we all said this on Sunday. Guilt is like a wire that is inside of us and we each told it's the story. Did, did you say inside of us during your sermon because it's around us okay around <laughs> but, but, our, but our, we've grown over it so we have to get cut through 
to get at it. Um, all right, now I feel like Josh, you you got to redeem this situation <laughs> and, and maybe tell the story. Keeping, now, we're keeping right. this all in here. This is good. This is this is this is a long story. Well, okay. tell I'll tell the I'll, footnote version. I'll tell the footnote. So, a uh, guy by the name of Brother Andrew, uh, a worldwide missionary in the Cold War, he smuggled books and Bibles in the communist uh, countries. A lot of a lot of cool background there. You can look up a book called uh, God Smuggler and read it for yourself. Anyways, before he became a Christian, he was serving time in the army in Indonesia. And for some reason, uh, he decided it'd be a good idea to buy a pet monkey. And then uh, after a while, he realized uh, the monkey was hurting. He had this wire wrapped around its waist that somebody had wrapped around him for a leash when the monkey was a baby. And the monkey grew with the wire, obviously didn't. And it, it had grown, it had uh, grown into its skin and over uh, the, over, and the, his fur grew over it. And details the story of when he cuts away the skin tenderly and then he's able to cut that, cut that wire and the freedom that, that his little pet monkey had. Uh, and in that, and, and how, how much joy he had and how committed the monkey was to him, the owner, because he had been waiting for somebody to do that for probably years. And he, brother Andrew, he just has such an awesome insight later on in life. Now he's become a Christian of saying, that is exactly what Jesus did for me, that Jesus cut the cord that wrapped itself of sin that was stopping me from growing. It was causing me pain. And if uh, just like with that little monkey, if it wasn't cut, it would eventually lead to lead to my death. And uh, what I, I think it's a really cool uh, illustration of what Jesus has done for us. And then when he talks about the the relationship that his monkey and he had, the commitment that they had to each other, that's exactly how we respond as Christians because of what Jesus has done for us. It's we want nobody else in our life except Jesus. Um, that we're so committed to, to him because he was so committed to us. And so if we connect that to the confession aspect of it, confessing a sin is hard and it hurts, but it, but it reaps the result of forgiveness, which is this freeing the cutting of the wire. And it's a beautiful thing. Guys, it's been a joy the last four weeks getting together to talk about, you know, these texts from Isaiah with you. It's been personally beneficial, uh, very devotional, getting to prepare my heart uh, to celebrate Christmas coming up here during the season of Advent. Uh, any, any last things that you guys want to say uh, before we close this out? It's been awesome. I just, this has been an awesome experience working with you guys doing this. And I know for anybody hearing or listening to this, anybody who's uh, been able to attend our, our services in person or online, um, what an amazing thing to get ready for and to celebrate is the coming of Christ. Amen. Thanks. I'll mention one thing that I thought about as I was reading the section from Isaiah 61, uh, in preparation for worship is that it talks a lot about uh, comforting those who mourn, providing for those who grieve, giving joy to those who instead have ashes 
uh, and in giving praise out to the mouths of those who are mourning, uh, giving uh, praise and joy to those who are in despair. And I thought a lot about uh, those who are during this time of the year dealing with hopelessness, uh, dealing with any form of depression or despair or anxiety. Um, maybe they wrestle with this regularly, but during the season, um, it's something that is exasperated uh, because of maybe the you know longer days, uh, darker days, and uh, maybe on top of that, the coronavirus and the separation is something that's affecting them. Or maybe it's the the holidays that, you know, kind of promote this very nostalgic and sentimental view of how things are supposed to be experienced during this time of year. And if you don't have um, people near you that you wish were, things could be uh very dark, very bleak for you. And so my encouragement for anybody who is wrestling with that or is dealing with that is um, to talk to your pastor, talk to your friends. And what you're going to get from them is not only the comfort um, that I'm thankful that Nathan and Josh uh, proclaim so beautifully on this podcast, just talking about how Christ for you means that he is the one who binds up the brokenhearted, that Christ for you means he's the one who has taken away all of your shame and guilt and given you his grace. Um, but also, I know that all of our congregations provide resources for those who are seeking professional counseling. Uh, and so to talk to your pastors about that, um, because I know that they would be uh, very glad to help you uh, get connected to a counselor who would be able to talk to you about some of the depression, despair, or grief that you're experiencing uh, during this time of year or any time. Thanks for that encouragement, Matt. I'll quick throw one additional one on there. Um, if you know someone who you even think maybe would be feeling a little extra down this time of year, call them and it'll mean, it'll mean a lot to them. Um, so maybe even tomorrow, the day before Christmas Eve, or when you're listening to it, it's today, pick up the phone, call someone, uh, and you'll bless them. I almost guarantee it. Josh, can you close us out with prayer? All right, let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, thank you again for giving us an opportunity to get together, not only here in this podcast, but anybody who's listening uh, to this at a later date. Uh, we ask that through our discussion and, and through God's word, the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would continue to bless them through this unbelievable message that you've given us through the prophet Isaiah. If they're brokenhearted, bind up their broken heart with this message of, of Christ for them. If, if they feel like a uh, prisoner to whether it be mental illness or just sadness, uh, their guilt, uh, release them from that through the forgiveness of sins that they have in Jesus. Uh, if they are, if they are mourning, give them uh, joy. If they are struggling, have anxiety, give them peace. Um, if they feel weak and worn out, give them strength and energy that can only uh, come through you in this message and and bless us as we celebrate christmas of, of continuing to have this joy that only you can give and uh, in all things help us and others grow closer to you we ask this all in jesus name amen 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 merry christmas
see y'all in 2021. Merry Christmas.